Welcome to the Living Savior Sermon Webcast. We invite you to join us here for our worship service every Sunday at 10 a.m. Find out more at lsavior.org. Thank you for joining us today. You see it on the very pudgy face of that blonde-haired boy in the classic Christmas movie called The Christmas Story. His eyes are wide with wonder when he looks at Santa Claus or that Red Rider BB gun or the toys through the store window or all of the wonderment that is the season and we'll try to avoid the leg lamp scenario but of all the things that happen in that movie his big blue eyes open up like satellites and then uh then it kind of changes right then there's Santa's boot sends him down the slide. There's those bullies in the back alley. There's his parents who act a little ridiculous. This may be an understatement. And it's like this thick cloud of reality just kind of rolls on in over the whole formerly nostalgic thing, right? And even if you've never seen the movie, good luck, you're in good luck because it's going to be playing tomorrow, but even if you've never seen the movie and you re- really don't know what I'm talking about, this movement from Wonder to being worn out. From marvel to the mundane, you're more familiar with that than you might anticipate, and I'll explain it in this other way. You look at basically all children. I look at my children, you can look at any children, and you can see the wonder on their faces. And it's not just when they see the presents with their names on it, like we talked about in the children's message, but when they see the trees, and the lights, and the treats, and the joy, and the decorations, and they see your expression too, And it's magical when you look at their faces, is it not? Have you ever paused and just watched them? Wow! It is fantastical if you were to read their faces. And they know to look for those things year after year. They ask you if they can have some of the same experiences that were great that you had last year. And, truth be told, you remember those experiences too if you're older, don't you? You even might even impose some of those on your kids. Well, this is fun when I was a kid. So, where has all that wonder gone? Is it still there for all of you? Especially the way it maybe used to be? Is it just that we've gotten too busy with life and things are so hectic and maybe part of it, but not all of it. Is it that we're older now and so since we're more mature, then that is a little bit... That's a little bit for the younger ones, or it's a little juvenile to be so joyful, so maybe as a result we become jaded. I would say maybe that's part of it, but not really. I, I was privileged to go visit one of our shut-ins this past week, and I walked into the nursing home gathering area, and this big tree, and this old man hunched over on a walker was, had just gotten to the Christmas tree, and he pointed to this shiny metallic star ornament, and I'd never seen him, never met him a day in my life, and he pointed to it, and he looked right at me, and he said, isn't Christmas amazing? I thought, yeah, it it is. That's awesome. And he's old. So I would suggest that it's not because of that, maybe in part, but... So then what is it? What is it that has caused us to maybe lose some of our sense of wonder? I mean, is it really only unique to us? I would say not. In this morning's sermon and also last night, I referenced a Washington Times article that cited a Pew Research study, surveyed a ton of people to see how many Americans are celebrating Christmas and how many actually believe in the things that Christmas says in the Bible, like Jesus being born of a virgin and shepherds coming to see him and three wise men guided by a star. And 
90% of Americans celebrate Christmas. The percentage that actually believe in this wonderment has shrunk almost 10% in just a few years. 57%. And we can say, well, this is the war on Christmas, right? And we can talk about and complain about whether the legitimacy of Christmas and its truth has really lost a whole lot of ground in society. And we can complain in silly arguments about whether or not to say happy holidays or Merry Christmas and all such silly things or whether or not the person in the right position is going to say the thing that we want them to say or whether there's too many secular decorations as opposed to sacred ones. But all of that really is null and void and I would argue quite foolish and silly compared to the greatest war on Christmas, which happens right here and with you. See, the great war on Christmas is slowly but surely, to turn whatever is wonderful into less significant so that, as a result, it might become something altogether just fairy tale esque I mean, let me ask you, I mean, that has to do with the core of Christmas, doesn't it? Does Silent Night strike you the very same way that it did years ago? Does the candlelight cause you to forget about the darkness, not just in the world, but that which you see in your own life? Does, does Luke 2 still sound as poetic as when you maybe learned it as a child or maybe as an adult? Where has, where has this gone, where the warmth of God's love communicated to you in his word totally collides with your heart and it changes you so you walk out of here feeling unlike the way you felt when you entered? Is, it, is that still the same? Because if there's anything, if there's any time of year, this is kind of it, right? Christmas would be the time, the thing that would or should really renew that sense of wonder, shouldn't it? And of course, I'm here tonight to tell you that it can't. This concept that there's been a struggle about the, with the wonder of Christmas, and, and maybe to a large degree, myself included, we've lost it. This is nothing new. You see, 650 to 700 years before that first Christmas ever happened, the northern kingdom of Israel had really lost their luster in their relationship with God. You see, they weren't supposed to make an alliance with Assyria, that world power. If you've ever heard about Assyria, it's always rated our version stuff that they did. Just terrible, ruthless people. But the northern kingdom said, God, Assyria, let's team up with the bad guys. We don't really have this trust in God anymore. And so Assyria broke that little treaty and ravaged them. And it's not like Israel could do anything in the northern kingdom because most of the soldiers and the armies were in the southern kingdom of Judah surrounding the capital city of Jerusalem. And so they always got beat up, that northern kingdom, until finally they were desecrated and sent to the four winds. So what happened? Was it that God just kind of lost sight of them like a two-year-old? Where'd they go? Was it that God had just stopped caring? Ah, forget them. No, God had not left them. They had walked away from him precisely because they had all of these great expectations that were only rooted in life and that all had a time stamp on them. And so while they had expectations of more, they ended up getting so much less. And yet even to people like that, did you hear the words that God said to them in Isaiah 9? It's quite remarkable, isn't it? to people who have walked so far away, to people who get so caught up in life, to people who lose their sense of wonder that all they get caught up in is the rigmarole of Monday through Friday, what are we doing this weekend, and then Monday comes around again, and all. Can you relate, maybe, a little bit? What kind of words would God say to people like that then, or maybe some similarity between them and us today? He says things like this. People walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has 
dawned. And then what did he go on to say? To whom? To us. A child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And you've probably heard those words before, and you might be quick to skip over that first name or characteristic, but I beg you, please don't. Let me give you three very brief reasons why you shouldn't. See, when you look at those words, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, it seems that they all kind of come in pairs, that there's an adjective describing the next word, right? Wonderful Counselor, the Son of God is a wonderful counselor, he's a mighty God, so on and so forth, but that first word is actually not an adjective, it's a, it's a noun, you can't see it in English, but... Pella in Hebrew is, is a noun. So he is a wonderful counselor, but he is also just plain old wonderful. Secondly, it's quite interesting that that's the first word that he uses. Of all the names that he would be called, you and I, if we were to handpick some names to describe God, would we have chosen wonderful? I, I think I might have chosen mighty heroic God. He's everlasting father who creates this eternal relationship with people out of nowhere. He is the prince of peace who sacrifices things so that those who were caught in the war and darkness of this world would only live in tranquility forever. That, I would pick those kinds of things that came later, but the first thing he says is wonderful. And I suspect for a third reason that the main reason why that word is the first word is because he's dealing with people then and at the time when Jesus came and today who find a whole lot of expectations that aren't rooted in God's promises and, well, 